Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell, and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week, right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290KZSB.com. We were repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and at Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with a personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. So. Diane, you have to put your microphone on in order for us to hear you. Uh, Diane is having trouble with her mic, so uh, uh, let's just uh, skip uh, the banter, that the funny banter that I usually have with Diane and go right to our articles. Uh, as you know, the beginning of each show, we go through some of the more interesting articles um, in the financial press. And and the first, well, before I do that, let me just introduce our guest, which is something Diane does. It's Emily uh, Barney, who is the CEO and founder of Visionality. And uh, I think I'm back. Am I back? You are? Oh, there you are. It's Emily Barony. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, I would have pronounced it correctly uh, had my micro had your microphone been working. It would have not have been a problem. Very true. I'm not sure. I got this fancy new microphone, and then I can't make it work. Hmm. So um, I said, I said, I said we'd skip with the banter, but we do have one banter, and that is, it looks like the summer, the two day summer is over. It does appear that way. It felt, it felt like fall out there for sure. I needed a jacket. Yeah. So uh, the first article we have is entitled, this is from the Wall Street Journal, entitled The U.S. Economy's Secret Weapon, Seniors with Money to Spend. About 17.7% of the population uh, in August was older than 65, uh, according to the Census Bureau. Um, and that's up from 13% in 2010. Uh, this has made uh, the elderly spending a, a, a force to be reckoned with. Americans age 65 and up accounted for 22% of spending last year, the highest share since records began in 1972, and it's up from 15% in 2010. Um, and um, the large share of older uh, consumers uh, in terms of consumption is... Um, uh, is against the sh the the backdrop of for younger people of rising interest rates, student debt loan, uh, uh, job growth slowing, uh, uh, job uh, wages slowing, and so uh, what we have in this article is the the notion that offsetting this is the fact that uh, people over sixty five have discretionary money to spend and are not affected by those macroeconomic trends that are affecting uh, people who are younger. And the other factor is that uh, a great deal of wealth, a disproportionate uh, part of a total American wealth is in the hands of Americans over the age of 70, uh, where um, the uh, things like student debt, consumer debt, uh, 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 and the inability to buy a house is not that important. And as people get older the, today, the baby boomers are willing to spend that money. 
Well, and I think that that's that's really um, as the baby boomers start inheriting monies from their from their family members passing on, we're really seeing this boom of you know whether it be travel or um, just spending in general. But it's really that coupled with the. I, I think in the article they could even drop below to um, fifty five year olds and over because really that's what we're seeing um, dropping out of the job market. And the reality is job growth is really strong. You know, they keep every time the estimates come out, they re revise them and they the job creation continues to go up. I think it's because our economy has grown accustomed to a large demographic of millennials, which is a very large group of people, as well as the baby boomers. And so we're st we created an economy that could accommodate all of those people. And as the baby boomers start um have started retiring on mass and now the last of the baby boomer generation is retiring we're really having a worker shortage which hasn't been helped at all by the fact that during the pandemic immigration virtually came to a, a halt um all true um the next article is entitled soaring bond yields threaten the fed goal of a soft landing uh, the Fed has been raising, as we know, short-term rates uh, for a year and a half, uh, and these uh, increases were designed to push up long-term bond yields, which was supposed to combat inflation. But the speed of the latest jump in long-term rates um, is something, as the article says, is uh, be careful of what you wish for. And there are a bunch of reasons for why uh, rates are going up. The, the, the 10 and 30-year rates are going up. Uh, but as the article points out, there really isn't uh, that much conclusive evidence about what's causing it. And um, what they believe this article is suggesting is that there may be, and this could be permanent, uh, a um, change in what investors call the term premium. That is, uh, when you consider, uh, at least intellectually, when you consider whether to buy a two-year bond or a 10-year bond, you put a premium, that is, you want more interest in the 10-year bond because uh, there's more risk going out eight years than just two years, uh, 10 years versus two years. Uh, and that premium has been pretty consistent. That is, what that premium is, how much more you expect. Uh, the article suggests that maybe that premium now is widened. That is, people, given the uncertainty of our times, are going to demand a higher premium to go long versus short. And that could be a permanent uh, factor in keeping long-term rates higher than uh, they historically have been relative to short-term rates. No, I feel like, you know, when people look at what's going on in the world, everybody always thinks their time is different and it's more wacky now than it's ever been. But the reality is, if you look back in history, it's uh, our country, especially, it's always been tenuous times and there's always something to be scared of. And this time is always different from the last. However, what I'm seeing is as the Fed um, didn't or chose not to raise in the last meeting a few weeks ago, what we're starting to see is a flattening of that yield curve, which really does indicate more of a soft landing than anything else. I think what they're ac they're actually going to be able to pull it off. Um, so to say that these times are different, I think is is just a um, you know a recency effect of the author. 
Um, the next article uh, in Sunday's, Saturday's Wall Street Journal is how much is Tesla, is Tesla worth? And it begins by uh, saying, uh, reporting that the current market value is about $859 billion. And um, let's, the article says, let's try to see if we can justify that. And um, what they first did is they took a look at um, the total cash flow uh, and based on a discounted cash flow analysis, the best they could come up with is 23 billion, not 859 billion. The second thing they did is they took a look at uh, what uh, Tesla suggested is their minimal uh, uh, goal, and it is to be bigger than Toyota. And Toyota, uh, and, and by the way, they suggest that they will be able by 2030 to have 20 million cars uh, sales each year. And, uh, you know, the biggest company, Toyota, only sells, sells 10 million cars. So again, they're suggesting uh, uh, a, a goal that really doesn't make any sense based on the $859 billion. The next thing that this author has done is they uh, said, let's assume they can do that. And let's assume certain margins on car sales. Uh, and they came up with, even if they made the 20 million cars, a total value of $445 billion, which is still half of what the stock is selling for. And the last uh, point is that some of the bulls on Tesla are saying, well, you just can't look at cars. You don't know what else they're going to do there. For example, are going to uh, have an explosion in sales because of self-driving cars. Well, without even going into how much they can make with that, the article ends by saying how much of that would uh, uh, eat away at their current business. If we have self-driving taxis, maybe you don't need a car. And anyway, they, they tried every which way to justify the value, the current market value. And as usual, there was no, at least to, on based on what we know about rational investing, there's no way to justify it. Absolutely. I think, however, what Tesla's banking on is really being the network or the gas station for all electric cars. And I know a lot of um, folks who are anti-electric car, but have Tesla batteries at their house to power their house. And so where did the article account for any of the battery life storage or was it just on car sales? Because I think Tesla is a lot more than just a car company. Well, you know, the, the the question is, and this is one no one can answer, is how much value do you put on something that hasn't happened yet? So uh, it doesn't contribute much to their current earnings. So how do you justify it? What kind of earnings numbers do you need? With all of the optimistic numbers they come up with, they can only come up with half the value that we right. see today. And so when I look at that, isn't that the definition of a, of a growth company? <laughs> taking a risk today for the potential in the future. And it I is. think that's really what it is. And has Tesla's market grown or share price really grown out of control? Perhaps, well, right? Well, you know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember the idea that if you bought Polaroid and Xerox, you'd never go wrong. Uh, and so when you look at the opportunities that they believe they had for, let's say, Kodak and Polaroid, the idea is that the world is changing so rapidly. Who knows what, in fact, 
will have as a, as a fuel source in the next 10 years. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that Renee gave, it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Hi, I'm Chuck Finzi, the Chief Executive Officer and Chief Medical Officer of the Santa Barbara Neighborhood Clinics. We've been serving Santa Barbara for over 40 years. We pride ourselves in treating the whole person. We believe that healthy people lead to healthy communities. Please make us your health home. Call us at 844-594-0343 today. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. If you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Emily Barony with us, CEO and founder of Visionality. Emily, thanks so much for taking the time and for being here today. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a minute. What is Visionality? Yes, so we are a consulting firm and we work with nonprofits. And so we help them in positions of change. Um, often it's growth or like turnaround. So nonprofits uh, follow the same business life cycle as a business. So you go through, you know, the idea phase, the startup phase, and then you get into growth, maturity, and then decline uh, or turnaround where you need to sort of revamp, you know, the things that worked before may not be working anymore. So we work with organizations in periods of change, um, specifically with uh, fundraising, marketing communications, uh, strategic planning, 
Um, and then just sort of the boring operational hiring. Um, you know, we've started doing a ton of um, wage negotiations uh, between boards and and employees. So um, we're seeing a big shift in the employment market in the nonprofit industry. And we do just a handful of large scale conferences. So that's what and, we're up to. And so in your, let's talk a minute about the the um, the wage negotiations. There has been quite a bit of, of wage growth this year. And is that what you're referring to? Because we're seeing wage growth, you know, be higher than the 50 year average. So it's it's starting to be real. It's really real. Um, nonprofits, the model of nonprofits um, was established when um, we could live with a single income household. And that's not true anymore. And so uh, nonprofit wages were suppressed um, for a lot of different reasons. And we've reached a moment in time where um, you, if if a nonprofit professional moved out of nonprofit land and into for-profit land, you could make two or three times the annual salary. And doing good feels really good, but at some point there is a number large enough <laughs> to attract you away from the industry. And the excuse for a long time was, well, but you're making the world a better place. Yeah, that works really hard. And, you know, one of our clients deal, it's Teddy Bear Cancer. And, you know, they deal with kiddos with cancer. That's really hard work. So I'm here to argue that they should be paid not only comparably, but perhaps better than their for-profit counterparts. Uh, they should have comprehensive health care. They should have generous time off because they are doing the hardest work that any of us are doing. And so let's talk for a minute how you got to visionality. How did you where what is your background? How did how did you come up with the concept? Yes, so I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. Both my parents are entrepreneurs, so I was given the gift of ignorance. I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to work. I didn't know that it was supposed to be hard because I just watched my parents do it and that was just like normal life. So all growing up I would have like lemonade stands or I would mow lawns or I would, you know, do whatever I could to make money. Um, and then I um, incorporated my first business in college. Um, then I I was about to graduate college and I thought serious business people got jobs, so I should get a job. So I did. Um, and I worked at that job, my only real job for four and a half years. And I, I realized it wasn't for me. Um, it was, I wasn't able to allow my ability to achieve be determined by someone else's ability to provide. And so I was like, well, what the heck getting a job's easy. So I'm going to quit my job and start my company. And if in six months I haven't made any money, I'll just go apply for another job. And so I went to, I went through weave women's economic ventures. I went through their business planning, uh, class. I spent 10 months of nights and weekends starting my business on the side while I still had my real job. So writing my business plan, publishing my website, creating business cards, like all of that stuff takes 10 months of time. And so with the help of Weave, I was able to quit my job and launch my company immediately because I already I had already done all that other work in the background. 
And so through Weave, what what skills would you say you really they helped you perfect to to make you make visionality what it is today? Weave is the greatest. I am like their number one advocate. So what I like to say is that Weave helps people start and grow businesses in a handful of ways. Um, number one, their business training classes. And so in when you go through, and again, I started my company in 2011, so it's been a long time since I went through their program, and I know they're adjusting them, but they, when you complete one of their programs, you have a business plan that you could walk into a bank and get funding off of. Like, that's the goal, is it is, um, you know, at the end of the class, you can write a, you have a completed business plan that is good enough um, and well thought out that you could take it to a bank and get um, a business loan. So that's number one. Number two, they do ongoing coaching. So I was a Weave client for 10 years. So I met with someone as I grew my business. Um, and so they're there with you every step of the way to help make strategic decisions. And then the third way is with money. So they offer um, business loans to pre-bankable businesses or you know if you were were unable to get a loan from a traditional bank you could get a loan from weave um and they have just you know beyond all of that training it's a community and so you know i when i need to do business with somebody i look and see who's at weave and i get referrals from weave companies and you know they make it a big point to nominate their clients for awards. So in 2016, I won uh, Mayor Garcetti's Small Business of the Year or whatever, because we've nominated me. So they really are, um, yes, technical trainers um, and and a source of funding, but also they're like your number one champions in, um, in the community with a real interest in watching you succeed. Well, that's wonderful. And so... With visionality, what what made you want to go in business to help nonprofits? What was that driving force? While watching your parents being entrepreneurs, most people look at that as how do you build how do you build a company and how do you then you know sell it or you know go public or whatever that next step is for you. What made you want to focus your efforts on nonprofits? I just like making the world a better place. That's why I exist on on the planet is to make the world a better place. I also um I get bored really easily and so consulting is so attractive to me because I get to work it's not one mission. It's many missions and it's not one problem. It's many problems and that helped me hone in on specifically wanting to work with organizations in periods of transition because there's an end date our clients always graduate and that is something to celebrate we have a clearly defined goal we get them to that goal they graduate then when they have another big goal they call us again and they come back as a repeat client um so it's really like so weird to say that I'm excited when our clients graduate because that says I'm saying goodbye to a client but that means that we did our job well you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that they gave, it was amazing. 
she actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank, and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The organization known as 1805 raises funds for first responders, providing equipment and taking care of those who take care of us. Here's Richard Weston-Smith. The fact is that state and federal and county budgets move very slowly, but first responders' needs move very fast. And often there's this lag where there's a piece of equipment or something that they need that they can't get for two or three years in the budget cycle. So we step in and make it happen. We think the first responders, they sign up for fires and they sign up for car wrecks and so on, but they don't understand how that can affect them after many, many years of exposure to terrible trauma. We provide the funds to provide counselling for, at the moment, to all 750 of the county's firefighters. More first responders, it's a fact, die by suicide than in the accidental line of duty deaths. To learn more about 1805, go to 1805.org, 1805.org. Welcome to the Farm to Table Radio Hour, where we love to talk about food. I'm Sam Edelman, General Manager of the Santa Barbara Farmers Market Association. We're here Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Thursdays and Sundays at 9 a.m. If you ever want to call into the show, we'd love to hear from you. Our number is 805-564-1290. So feel free to call in with your questions or comments on AM 1290 KZSB, the station that talks about Santa Barbara. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits for use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. If you're just joining us, we have Emily Baronet with us, who is the CEO and founder of Visionality, a company that's founded to make the world a better place. And I love that, Emily. I'm going to have to keep quoting you on that one. So what? tell us about Visionality's services. So you you talked about, you know, you, you basically serve the gamut of nonprofits, but really tell us who your niche client is and, and why they should use you. Yes. So anyone who is in a period of change and needs a little extra help uh, to get to where they're pointed at, um, our, our big niche is that we're a firm. And so we have a range of deeply talented individuals. And by hiring a firm, you get access to all of those individuals. And so um, you're not, you have the benefit of eight experiences, eight brains, eight approaches to a different problem. And it also especially is like great continuity planning because like I'm going to Spain in two weeks. And so if I was just a solopreneur, that means all the work would have to stop while I was out of town. But because we have this team approach um, and every client has a, has two, at least two primary members of the team, on their team, then there's complete continuity when people go on vacation, they have a baby, they need to caretake somebody. Um, you know, there's always someone to continue the work. So that really is sort of our unique 
proposition is that we are a firm and we take a firm approach. Um, but then specifically the work, it is fundraising, strategic planning, you know, operational change management, um, that type of stuff. But, you know, one of the things that um, I would consider a risk in your business is that the client typically is someone that is working on a very, very small margin. You know, they're using donors' money. And when the going gets uh, uh, difficult, um, when they really need you, they may start cutting back. And one of the things they can cut back with is consultants. So th that's an interesting, you know, paradox. It's a huge issue and um, it's just been fascinating. You know, I've been doing this for 12 years. As Tomorrow is our birthday. It will be our 12-year oh. birthday. So, like, I know what I've do I'm doing. I know how to run this business. I know how to sell our services. I know how to manage clients. And it is weird out there. And so never before have I um, had this level of scope change with established existing long-term clients most of them have adjusted their scope and i haven't seen that in the past it's like pervasive right now which is really unique um our sales process has drastically changed it has got longer and it is a lot more difficult to uh get a client and we're also seeing neil exactly what you mentioned um prospective clients coming in with big uh, you know, uh, give me a big proposal and we give them a big proposal and it goes down to a really small proposal. Um, so it is a challenge. A lot of our clients got a lot of COVID money and used that to fund our work because our work is in efficiency and sustainability and stability. And the COVID money is gone, but the COVID problems are not gone. And so we are seeing a lot of clients who need to find a way to fund our work because it's important work and they see us as valued partners, but the mechanism that they use to fund it is gone now. So it is, it is really weird out there right now. And I'm talking to a lot of other consultants and they're all in similar positions where it's just weird out there right now. Yeah. Could I just a follow up on my, my initial question? And that is, um, Besides having this, you know, tension between uh, the client's profitability as a not-for-profit, you also need to inventory all of your professionals. So, in terms of you know business finance 101, you've got um, a uh, an inventory of payroll, <laughs> and uh, how do you deal with that in a slow period, or have you not faced a slow period? Um, we're coming out of a slow period. Um, and I got to tell you, people are people. It's hard to find great people. And so I, that's sort of my job as the boss is to monitor that and make sure that we have a long enough runway to sustain the the down periods because I hire the best people. I hire the most talented people. They are good humans. They are also committed to making the world a better place. And once you find one, you got to hang on to them. And so um, I have never understood, you know, the uh, the up and down, fast to hire, fast to lay off. Um, that never worked for me because when you find the best people, my job is to keep them around and to make sure that we have enough work to sustain them and then enough runway in case we don't have enough work so that we can keep them on. 
And so what is your niche market in terms of size of nonprofit or you know, do you find that nonprofits right now are wrestling with the same issues or, or what do you, what do you see the interest in hiring your firm to be at this point in time? Yeah. So we're doing a lot of work. You know, it's, it's honestly a really wide range depending on what the product is that they're purchasing. So we're moving away from all volunteer organizations. So organizations with no staff, um, it's just a really hard business model for us because if we're being managed on deliverables, but the people that we're working with are all volunteer, you know that when you get busy, you got to do your job job. Or if something gets busy with your family, you got to do your family job. And volunteering comes last. And that's normal. And of course, that's true. But it makes it hard for us to achieve our milestones when um are the people we need to manage are put prioritizing our work last. So we're making a move right now into um, staffed organizations where 10 years ago we focused on unstaffed organizations. Um, now we almost don't even propose if it's a all volunteer organization. But then we have a very wide range of, you know, million dollar budgets to $50 million budgets. Um, we re recently launched a really interesting and important product, which is uh, ethical leave of absence coverage. And so um, <clears throat> what we've, you know, historically, if you're going to have a baby uh, and you're a professional fundraiser, what that has meant is you do twice as much work while you're growing a human being uh, to prepare your organization. And then you, then your colleagues, you go out to have your baby and your colleagues cobble together to keep the train on the track, but they all have full-time jobs already. And then when you come back, you are it's a mess and you're slammed and it's like a big disaster that you have to recover from. So we have developed um, like interim staffing for specific positions. We can staff like a CEO, a CFO, an operational manager, a fundraiser, um, someone in marketing um, to to bridge that gap, to keep the train on the tracks while someone is taking a leave of absence, whether it is uh, parental leave, whether you're caretaking, maybe you had a um, personal health crisis, maybe you're taking a, a sabbatical. So just keeping the train on the tracks and we're seeing that's really attractive for much larger organizations who maybe have two or three or four people in their marketing department or in their fundraising department um, and someone is going out um, on a leave for some reason. And where are you finding these people, especially in this market where, you know, there, there are, are so many jobs, most um, companies are having a really hard time hiring. Where do I find my employees? Now, are when you do interim staffing, is it with your own employees or is it with, oh, so it's with, it's with employees of visionality already? Correct. Correct. So we take our um, employees and we put them in the interim positions. And so oh, that's kind of like the best of all worlds for the organization. It's the best of all worlds. So this specifically the maternity program is six months um, and maternity leave is only three months. And so what we're actually doing is in month one, we're creating the to-do list. What has to happen for those three months? What are the primary responsibilities and getting buy-in from the rest of the team to make sure we have a full list? 
Month two, we're shadowing the person going out on leave. So that is really important because that's also insurance in case someone goes out early, um, something unexpected happens. We are already ready to start doing the job and we're in the loop and people know who we are and why we're there. Then mom is gone for three months. Um, during that three month time, we're doing the work. We're keeping the train on the tracks. We're not doing any cra anything crazy or whatever. We're just like keeping the thing moving. We're also having those awkward conversations um, about um, what needs to happen before mama comes back. So um, there's a brand new piece of legislation called the Pump Act, which requires significant uh, willingness to make accommodations for parents returning from work. So we're making sure all that stuff happens. And then in month six, mama comes back. She shadows us to learn where things are. It's also insurance in case mama doesn't want to come, come back, back or um, wants to come back part time. Um, also, imagine like, let's be honest, especially if you're a first time mom, you're learning how to do this. You're not sleeping. Your body is totally different. And so it's also like just kind of like an extra set of hands for mama who's coming back and like maybe she's not sleeping like she used to. Like her brain might be a little tired. So it's sort of just giving her it's like little arm floaties in the pool. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? When a tornado is tearing through town? Or a hurricane strikes? or is the best time perhaps today. During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. And it's not always as simple as using your cell phone. That's why now is the time to take action. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So Emily, before the break, we were talking about, you know, you really stepping in, whether it be parental leave or any sort of leave for employees to really fill that gap, which is such a hugely helpful role to play. Now, what happens when the person doesn't want to come back for whatever reason or can't come back if it's a medical leave? Um, what happens in that in that regard? Then, then we help them hire. Um, so where I mentioned earlier, we're doing a ton of work right now around, um, organizational management and very specifically, um, wage conversations. And so, um, if the person on leave, um, elects not to come back or comes back at a different capacity, then what we like to do is take a big step back with the organization, make sure that their um, org chart looks like what they want it to look like. You know, maybe it could be an opportunity within a department to restructure. Um, Then we help them write the job descriptions. Um, We purchase, um, I think, four uh, regional wage surveys. So it's also an opportunity to look at the wage structure of the existing team. So in nonprofits, we're seeing a lot of what's called wage compression, where in order to attract top talent in new talent, you're you're having to pay more, but you don't first look at your existing wages for longtime employees. So now you're offering a job sometimes at a wage that's higher than your tenured employees. So we like to take a big step back and establish wage bans for all of the employees and help them make any necessary adjustments and then, you know, off build in that job description at whatever rate it should be. Um, And yes, then we help hire our replacement and then we get out of there. And what about the job that the person who you lent was doing with other clients? Who fills in for that role? So it's just part of our business model. So um, everyone has, uh, every client has at least two leads, contract leads. And like, that's just kind of part of our sort of up and down is, you know, we, we have one or two leave of absence clients at any given time and we have other people doing other consulting. So it's, um, yeah, so we don't go through a process of hiring and laying off. It's just part of our normal business flow. And do you have a, a non-compete clause where the, the you can't get picked off by your client? They they can't hire your people? They, they can, but there is a cost associated with it. <laughs> so there's like a buyout. So yeah. at any point to any of the, um, CEOs of these nonprofits or executive directors end up feeling threatened by your staff and by you? And how, how do you deal with that? Because I've got to imagine oftentimes you're hired by the board as opposed to individual staff members. Yeah, we've dealt with that a lot. Um, and often it's the CEO who's bringing us in. Um, so if we're being brought in as like an extra set of hands or, Hey, we need to, you know, make this organizational change. There can, we deal a lot with 
those kinds of feelings. So it's just our job to make sure that the employees know that we're there to support them. All of our clients graduate. We are not here to replace you. We're here because your boss thinks you're doing great and would benefit from an extra set of hands. So it's a lot of trust building and just showing up the way that the employees ask us to show up. Additionally, we don't work for any individual. We don't work for a CEO or an executive director. We don't work for a board chair. We work for the mission. And so if even the person who quote unquote hired us, the board chair or the executive director, if we feel like they're doing something that is not in full alignment with the mission, vision, and values of an organization, it's our job as consultants to help them recognize that and give them an opportunity to um, adjust in a way that's in line with the mission, vision, values. And so how long is your um, usual uh, engagement? Is it six months? Is it six years? What, what What's the time frame? It totally depends. I know people love that answer. I don't know. It depends. Um, sometimes it's very quick um, and sometimes it goes on for years. So it really does um, really does vary. Um, some things are pretty well defined, like a full strategic plan takes nine to 12 months. Uh, you know, a, a board retreat, we like three months. Um, and so it just really depends what the scope of work is, what what the change they're looking for is. And so for smaller organizations, you know, with budgets under $250,000, is that still in your wheelhouse or is that just too small for you to engage with? We do for those size organizations, we often do board retreats. And that is a really cost effective and time effective way to engage with a consultant because um, you're asking of your board very little. We do a pre-retreat survey. So that takes maybe 30 minutes and then show up for a four or six hour um, board retreat. And our only request is that you're there and really present and focused. But it is a incredible way to re-engage your board, to get everyone on the same page, to choose strategic initiatives, um, to identify some issues that need to be addressed um, and have it facilitated by someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight. We're just, we're here to help you move your mission forward. um, Not because we know what's right for your organization. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And believe it or not, we'll be right back with our final segment. When you're farming a vineyard, you have 180 days to bring about a certain quality for the eventual wine. With a bank like American Riviera Bank, it's really comforting to have a partner that understands the agricultural landscape. Having people that communicate quickly with us, that are able to be flexible in how we're doing our business on a day-to-day basis has been a real strength in what we bring to our client base. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The Santa Barbara Women's Political Committee is a nonpartisan political action committee that works to achieve a society based on social, political, racial, and gender equality. With more information, here's Catherine Sweeson. The organization, first of all, is nonpartisan in the sense that we are not associated with any political party. What we do is we have a set of positions and we have a vision, and if you agree with our vision, we'll embrace every candidate. 
it's a very simple vision that we have. It's to achieve a society based upon the feminist values of social, political, racial, and economic gender equality. And also, I'm very proud of what our group does to encourage women to run for That's office. Right. And we want them to be successful because it's not one person. The success of one person is the success of us all. To learn more about the Santa Barbara Women's Political Committee, check out the website at sbwpc.org. This is the place that talks about Santa Barbara. Skyview. Community Matters. Radio Real Estate. Money Talk. The Andy Caldwell Show. Teen Sports Radio. Community Alert. Mortgage Matters. Welcome to the Voices. 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 Voices of Santa Barbara. The CEO Report. CSUCI presents About Education. The Farm to Table Hour. Around the World. The Jeremiah Show. The Art and Antiques Radio Show. Garden Gossip. Cork and Fork Radio Show. Tell me your story. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack. You'll hear it first here at KZSB Santa Barbara. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits for use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we're speaking with Emily Baronet, CEO and founder of Visionality. And so, Emily, now that you your firm has made this, this um, jump, where now you are actually the CEO, and you are managing these, your staff, what does that look like for you as a consultant? Yeah, so it's, I, I kind of get to be the consultant to my employees. So it's my job as the CEO to help them recognize challenges and solve them. And it's so much fun. Um, so it's it's been an interesting journey to get removed. I, I started my company because I had a passion for the work that Visionality does. And I've grown it into a passion for taking care of really incredible people. And it is my um, it is my pleasure that I get to work one-on-one with my employees to help them. You know, every we, we lean very hard into equity instead of equality. And so what that is, is that every employee needs a different set of tools or circumstances or scenarios to show up as their best self. And it's my job to help them find that best self. And, and you know, I wear contacts. And if I wasn't able to wear contacts, I wouldn't be very good at my job, right? Because I couldn't see. So it's working with learning and working with each employee to say, what do you need right now to show up as your best self and live a happy, integrated life? We do not call ourselves a family at Visionality. We're a team. Family's family. Family comes first. We are a team and we take care of one another. And we understand that we each need different things to show up as our best self. So that's been a really fun journey. And then further to be sort of a leader in our industry to say, people deserve to show up as their full selves at work. And, um, and in fact, you'll get better work from your employees if you allow them to show up as their full self. Um, we are a fully remote team. We don't have strict hours. I force my employees out of the office sometimes, you know, if they're struggling with something, they need a mental health day, you know, family member is really sick or having surgery. It's like, go take care of yourself and come back when you are invigorated, when you have the time and energy to, to really come back to work and and do good work. So it's, it's been fun 
demonstrating in real life that you can treat your employees with kindness and respect and um, they actually do better work for you. And so, you know, when were you able during uh, Visionality's life span, when were you able to make that jump from being a consultant and a manager of your staff to just being an, a consultant to other nonprofits to just being a a, a really a, a consultant to to your staff? Mm-hmm. It was probably not until 2019, so six or seven years in. And I still do client work, but it's largely behind the scenes. But it really took, um, oh, you know what it is? I hired people with more experience than me. <laughs> Like, that's what they tell you to do, right? Like, hire really smart people and keep them happy. And it truly was when I decided I was hiring people with more experience than me. Then I'm not the expert anymore at anything. (laughs) So that, welcome, thanks for coming to my TED Talk on how to run a successful business. Hire smart people and keep them happy. Thank you, Emily Bernie. Uh, thank you. And uh, thank you for all you've been doing for the community and all our not-for-profits. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week.